It's been more than a year since we started this path of working our way through this incredible, incredible letter to the Hebrews. We've had some ups and downs. There have been some sort of potholes in the way when we don't quite see what does this mean. Because we're looking from such a perspective of distance from the author, of course, and also way, way back in the time of Abraham. And those things that are mysterious to us. And the great theologians are not in agreement with some of the things that we've talked about. For instance, Melchizedek. Who was that guy? Who was the one that comes and he blesses Abraham and Abraham pays him a tithe? Who was he? I've said emphatically, no other than Jesus himself. But I'm not a theologian. I'm not an expert on Old Testament or of Hebrew. But it has been a joy to go beyond what we normally would study in a Sunday morning service, going step by step. And what was our focus? Looking to Jesus. That has been our focus, seeing him, keeping our eyes on him so that we are not distracted. We're going to study just two verses this morning. Those are very special verses because they are a prayer, a blessing, a benediction. Now the God of peace, who brought up from the dead the great shepherd of the sheep, through the blood of the eternal covenant, even Jesus our Lord, equip you in every good thing to do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight, through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Father, I ask as we look back over the book of Hebrews through this blessing, that our hearts would be ringing as we leave this room, filled up and in love with you more than we've ever been. Would you do that for us this morning? We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. There are seven points in this prayer. And each of them, I believe this is kind of like a review. We've been doing a review now. This is the third review that we've gone, looking back at the whole scope of Hebrews and picking out those places that have been milestones and key truths that we've come along the way so that this prayer can easily, well, I should say not easily, but if you dig in this prayer, it is really a capsulization of what the book of Hebrews is all about. And if you would like to have well, some of you can take a picture with your phone right now if you want, of this outline. 
and see what the bits and pieces are of that outline. You probably also have it in your bulletin. This benediction prayer covers all 13 chapters. There are elements in this that the God of peace, the God of life, power, and authority, the God of covenant, the God who equips, the God whose will is good, the God who works, the God of eternal glory. Let's look at the first statement in uh, chapter 1, verse 2. The Father has spoken to us in his Son. The God of peace who brought up from the dead the great shepherd of sheep through the blood of the eternal covenant, even Jesus our Lord. The author begins his blessing or benediction with now the God of peace. Old Testament prophecy spoke of a son who would be born who would come as a redeemer for mankind. Ever since Adam and Eve violated Creator God's first command not to eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, Creator God declared to the tempter that there would come a man-child who would crush the head of the serpent. When Eve conceived and gave birth to her firstborn child, she declared, I have gotten a man-child with the help of the Lord. But Cain, her firstborn, was a great disappointment. Many, many Jewish women throughout the ages were hoping that this promise would be fulfilled in their son. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. That's in chapter 4 and verse 14. And then in 5, 8, although he was a son, he learned obedience from the things which he suffered. A high priest who has taken his seat at the right hand of the throne in chapter 8, verse 1. So we have Father God, the creator who stands looking down the road, seeking the son who he gave life to, the prodigal son, having given all his riches, gives even more, but the heartfelt demonstration of compassion, reconciliation, and peace was what God had in plan from the day that man fell. It was in his heart to be a redeemer. It was in his heart to be the one who would reach out first and not the other way around. God has been seeking for his children, and so he sent his son, Jesus, to be the one who would lay down his life. And this son, Jesus, gave his life for every human being. We're not talking son in terms of gender. We're talking in terms of mankind. For every human being. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish, should not die, should not be lost and going to hell, but should have eternal life. 
that was God's intention from the very beginning. It wasn't made up along the way. God doesn't work that way. God being God, he knows the future. He knows what is happening. He knows what's in his heart. He knows that I was born, you were born. He knows us thoroughly because he's God, because he is creator God, because he is our savior God, our redeemer God. And he waits for us to respond so that we can come to that place where we throw off our old life and we receive his new life. A picture of baptism. There's some of you who have believed and haven't been baptized yet. This is an opportunity for you to demonstrate to not just a show, but demonstrating that you believe that when you die, God will raise you up. When you have confessed your sins and you come to a place of acknowledging that you need a Savior, you need a Redeemer, that is when God then takes great joy in welcoming the prodigal son home, the prodigal daughter home. That is our experience, most of us here. It's an experience that we want every friend to enjoy and understand. And God is that big. He can take in the whole world. But we have to be ready to receive his grace. He is the God of peace. And he's making peace with men. Who brought up from the dead the great shepherd of the sheep. The God of peace then is the God of life, power, and authority. Chapter 1, verse 8 and 9. But of the Son, he says, Your throne, O God, is forever and ever. He's the God of life. He's the one that raised Jesus, the good shepherd of the sheep, from the dead. That's his intention for all mankind, is to give them life. That through death he might render powerless him who had the power of death, that is, the devil. There is only one way to overcome Satan's power, and that is to recognize that he is already defeated. That God had already completed the task of destroying the angel of death, of Satan, the devil, the one who comes and tempts us. He has no power. We look and we think, well, the demons have power. They do not have power. Jesus has overcome them. They may roar, they may intimidate, they may come in, steal, and destroy, but that is not real power. The power that is given to us by Redeemer God is through what his son did in dying on the cross. He overcame death. That is what Jesus did for us. And that's why the symbol of the cross to us is very meaningful. That Jesus opened up his arms and said, Come to me, all you that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. 
And that's what all mankind is looking for, is for rest. We see this in the world today, looking at the news and understanding what is going on in our world. We've been talking about this quite consistently lately, of what is happening to our world. Do you know what I think it is? And those of you who have heard me say this before, these are the end times, I believe. There has never been a time like our age on this planet. Oh yes, there was millions of people who perished in the worldwide flood. But you know what? That was just minuscule compared to what we have on earth today. And that God is sending out his message to those who will hear. And it's time, it's time, the time of salvation. Jesus has already conquered the enemy over 2,000 years ago. We're waiting for his return. His return is close. And I thank God for those of you who have come here to Japan to help us in this harvest field. God bless you and use you in these weeks that you're here. And really put into your heart a love for these people. I think, and I'm, I don't think I'm exaggerating or putting it out of perspective, I think God loves the Japanese very, very much. He has been so patient, so kind to them. We say, you can't outgive the Japanese. You become a friend with the Japanese, and you can, I don't care what you give them, they can one-upmanship you with return gifts. But you know what? They cannot outgive the Savior. That's the one thing that they so desire is eternal life. But here we just kind of take it for granted. Look at these people. If you're in Shinjuku or Shibuya or down in Kyoto or any of these places, the statistics are there's less than one half of 1% Christians here in Japan. Actually, I think it's quite higher. I think it's somewhere around 4 or 5% because there are a lot of Christians in Japan who do not identify themselves as Christians by attending a church. But even at 4 or 5%, or even if it was 10%, there's 90% of the Japanese who will perish and go to hell because we haven't been faithful to tell them and share. And we're so blessed. Every Sunday we hear of what God is is doing. He's the one who brought up from the dead the great shepherd of the sheep. That should be a resounding trumpet call or a, a sense that we have of why we are sitting here this morning and why we are living here in Japan. He's the God of life, power, and authority. And he came to free those who, through fear of death, were subject to slavery all their lives. Good description of the people of Japan. 
through the blood of the eternal covenant, even Jesus our Lord. He being the God of covenant. When we think of uh, giving a promise or of buying a mortgage that you say, well, I'm going to promise to pay, that is peanuts to what, you know what that term means? That's peanuts. It means it's a very, very small thing for us to compare to the grandeur of what God has done for the whole world through his son in offering him a covenant promise of who he is and why he came to earth and why he is his gospel, his word is so important for us to share. The God of covenant. For when God made the promise to Abraham, since he would swear by no one greater, he swore by himself the unchangeableness of his promise. He does not change. He does not pull back on what he has said, I will give you eternal life. He doesn't pull it back. He offers it and he asks us to come and to confess our sins and to receive from him eternal life. That is his call to us, to everyone who will hear. Come to me, all you that labor are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. This hope we have as an anchor of the soul, a hope both sure and steadfast. We talked about anchors. Anchors are very important when you're at sea and your engine has just gone out or you are stranded for some reason or other, your sail or your mainsail has taken a a hit and ripped and you are just drifting. Good time for an anchor. But we have an anchor of the soul that is sure and steadfast. It won't let go. The promise is already there for everyone who will put their trust in our Lord Jesus Christ. That he equip you in every good thing. The God who equips. Equip means to complete, to fully train, to make perfect, to mend, to perfect, to prepare, or restore. This word is only used about 10 times in the New Testament. But here it is in the writing of this uh, author of Hebrews, the God who equips you in every good thing. He has made the first covenant obsolete. That's the first thing he equips us with. We're not going by an old covenant or an old promise, but we are actually putting our trust in a new covenant, the fulfillment of the old covenant. And so he equips us with that knowledge and that understanding that he has given his son as the guarantee. He has made the first covenant, the law, obsolete. You can put the Ten Commandments all over the walls here, and that would be good. But the problem is, 
with just the Ten Commandments, none of us would get saved. The Ten Commandments will not save you. Only the one who fulfilled the Ten Commandments can save us. And none of us, none of us, have been able to live those Ten Commandments fully. Only one Savior. And that's how he's equipped us. By giving us his Son. So that we would have eternal life. So that every offense that I have had in breaking every one of those Ten Commandments, and I have, you killed someone? Well, my wife can attest to this. I've got a pretty bad anger problem. Well, not really, but... (laughs) I don't think. But I have sometimes had the feeling, I'd like to end this guy right now. And don't tell me that you haven't had that sense and feeling. Some of you are avoiding my eye contact right now. But that's okay. That's okay because we have a Savior who equips us with the promise that he fulfilled what we could not do. And our trust is in him, the Savior. He's equipped us. He entered through the greater and more perfect tabernacle. Where is that tabernacle? What was that tabernacle? His body. It was his body that he gave. And he entered life so that we would be equipped with the life of Jesus in us by receiving confessing him as Lord and turning to him and submitting to him when every day of our life. When the Spirit of God begins to nudge us and say, you know, that wasn't quite right what you said, Ron. There's that still small voice that speaks and brings conviction. Why? Because the life of Jesus Christ is real and alive for those of us who have received him as our Savior. We are equipped, like Jesus was, he entered through the greater and more perfect tabernacle, and he was the Lamb of God that was nailed to the cross. And as we spoke about the scapegoat, he's the one that carried away our sins, so we don't bear them any longer. But now to appear in the presence of of God for us. But now, once he has put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. That's who we trust in. Not in our good works, not in what we have done, but in the works of Jesus Christ and what he has won for us of salvation. That is our assurance. That is our trust. That's how we get up in the morning and face the next day, even though things may be going rotten, we with assurance can walk in that faith. The anchor holds, it's within the veil, and he has won for us the victory. Now to appear in the presence of God for us, that's our Savior. 
for Christ did not enter a holy place made with hands, a mere copy of the true one, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God for us. But now, once at the consummation of the ages, he has been manifested or shown to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. Praise the Lord. The God who equips us, why? To do his will. And his will is good. Verse 13 of chapter 9, For if the blood of goats and bulls and the ashes of heifer sprinkled on those who were ceremonially unclean, sanctify them so that their bodies are clean. How much more is God's will and purposes? How much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, cleanse your conscience from dead works to serve the living God? That is his will and purpose. It's not that we just live a good life and then we die. It's that we truly have a conscience that has been cleansed. Do you know what that means? It means that you can recall the things that you have lied about, cheated about. You can recall all those things. And right now there's lots of things going on in your mind, isn't there? You can recall when you have not followed the Lord. That is a gift. That's something to treasure. He cleanses your conscience from dead works to serve the living God. That's our Savior. That's how much we want to follow his will and do his good will. It produces in us fruit. It produces for us life. That is what our message is as believers. And first of all, to ourselves. Don't preach at others. I'm speaking to myself right now. Don't preach to others before you've preached to yourself. And followed what he is saying to you in your conscience. It's very important for us as Christians when we are on a mission team or when we're out and about in Tokyo or Kyoto or whatever, that we have a good conscience. And God has given that to us as a gift to us that we would do his good will, that we'd walk in his ways working in us that which is pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ. The sixth statement of this benediction of the writer of Hebrews. The God who works. For Christ did not enter a holy place made with hands, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God. For who? For us. Jesus Christ is standing before the Father as we speak. Why is he there? For us. He's there for us, interceding, saying, that's my son, that's my daughter. 
And he knows where you are. He knows what you're going through right now. And he is able to bring to you and to your understanding that God is at work for me right now. Do you really understand that? God is working for you right now. Your hopes and those things that you are asking him about, before you call, he will answer. He has them in mind. He knows what you are thinking. He knows where you are going. And he knows what your end is. And he has it all planned out for you. And we walk in his ways, understanding his will and his purpose. And he's at work. And he says, Jesus said, it is finished. Jesus did his work. But God continues in his church to perfect us, to bring us to a place where the world looks on and says, what causes them to be that kind of people? They get a slap in the face and they say, bless you. They get something turned against them at the company. Lord, you know, yes, you're working for me. And turn that into a blessing rather than a curse so that we can live this life not as beggars but as kings and priests as those who have authority given to us to walk in the life that we're walking in and be able to live knowing that God is at work through us bless you as you start this week and that it be not just well I got to get up I got to go to work I got to do this I got to do that but and I'm speaking to myself again that we learn how to rest and to really lean back hard on him as we face the challenges he is working for us the God of salvation has done all he can do to redeem mankind to himself, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. The God of peace, the God of life and power and authority, the God of covenant, the God who equips, the God whose will is good, the God who works for us, and the God of eternal glory, that through him then, let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. What is that sacrifice of praise? The fruit of our lips that gives thanks to his name. He is the king of glory. He is the one who is preparing for himself and by the way, for each one of us to share in that glory. What person would not want to follow a God like this? Who doesn't condemn, doesn't put you down, has given everything for you to prosper. Who wouldn't accept this gift? Millions wouldn't. Billions wouldn't. But we can prove and show that little circle 
that is around us, of our family, of our friends, our neighbors, the ones we meet on the street, that we stand on the platform or in the squished car, touching these people, we can be praying for them. We are salt and light. That's what Jesus called us. Glory to God. Praise to his name. And let's just close with that. Normally, a uh, pastor pronounces the benediction. But we as priests and kings, let's together pronounce the benediction for all of us. Now the God of peace who brought up from the dead the great shepherd of the sheep through the blood of the eternal covenant, even Jesus our Lord, equip you in every good thing to do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Amen. We are a blessed people. What we have experienced just in this prayer is a mouthful. It is ours to claim, to say, to pronounce. I would encourage you to take this benediction, pin it on your wall, put it right in the mirror there while you're brushing your teeth, or in the kitchen, or at your study, or at your office desk at the company. This is a blessing that God wants to do in our lives, the church. Get a hold of it. It will continue to change your life. The Lord bless you as you go.